So a pretty light <laughs> passage today. I'm very encouraged. <laughs> right? Oh. Yes. Uh, so, it, yeah, this, this is definitely, uh, this could be an intimidating passage, I think, because it's like, it takes a real dark turn, and it's starting to kind of have some predictive components mm-hmm. to it. And you're like, so some of the questions I think when you start to get into more of these prophetic teachings of Jesus, especially, is okay. What what are these symbols? What what are these phrases that he's referencing? And they're they're future oriented. So are they metaphorical? Are they literal? When is this going to happen? And I think for people. In in the modern times, we read this and say, has what he described already happened? And so we're on the backside of it? Or is this something that's still even in our future? When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Pastor Chad here, along with dear, dear friend, Pastor Kurt Prater. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. So thankful to have this time together. Looking forward to what God's going to do this morning. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so it's uh, we're in episode sixty-three, and you have joined me for a good handful of those episodes. We, when this uh, journey started out, we were on the same church staff team uh, down in Texas. You are still there, and I see you there in your office, which brings back just fond memories. But uh, yeah, we were just a, a few few feet away from each other there in the office, and now we're thousands of miles apart, but yet we can use this platform. So, so grateful for it and so excited to study the Word today. But how are you? Doing doing well. Um, I am looking forward to joining the Lord in some uh, new plans coming up this next season of life. Um, I'd say I'm stepping out of a busy season and a confession. Okay. You know, we'd normally talk about, all right, what God's been, what has God been teaching you in the word? Well, let me just confess to you that I have neglected my personal mm. pursuit of the Lord and his word like I normally was. I've let mm. busyness kind of creep in. Um, you know, I, I stayed up later with my kiddos because they were on break um, so it, it just threw me off rhythm. And so I've got lots of excuses, but I will tell you that I'm excited to get back into a regular discipline and to mm-hmm. be nurtured with the word of the Lord as well as time and prayer. So I'm doing well. Um, I'm curious um, with that, it would be helpful to to know as you reflect on taking a season spent... Uh, with less of time in the word, what what have you noticed from that? Like, what do you notice about yourself? Uh, yeah, as you lead in ministry, what are some of the 
the repercussions or how does that influence you when you're not in the word as much? What do you notice? So the first thing that I have no other way of putting it, but I do feel a distance. That's just the only thing that I can say is that intimacy and closeness that I would feel with the Lord and that conversation that would be ongoing through the study of the scripture, through prayer, and just my awareness of the Lord, that that is strained when I don't have uh, time nurturing my, my soul, my, what I need in, in the, the word of the Lord. So that's the, I think that's the yeah. biggest thing that I notice. Um, would I say that I'm not still operating under the direction of the Holy Spirit? No. Would I say that uh, the Lord doesn't still work for me? No. But I will say that my sensitivity to Him, my, um, just that closeness that I would feel is, is strained. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's what I've, because I've been thinking about that this last week. And um, so it's, it's fresh on my mind and processing. I know the benefits, and it's just a matter of me getting back after it. And I certainly don't want to stay here because being in isolation uh, away from the Lord um, and not reading the scripture is one of the scariest places to be because the enemy is so crafty. And I'm mm-hmm. just not strong without the Lord. Yeah, I, I've, I can reflect on seasons in my life where that is, I'm in the same boat. And I notice a shortness in my own attitude. Yeah. Uh, I'm far less patient with myself and with others, and I'm very quick to try to figure things out and just manufacture things on my own and in my own strength or insight. And yeah, like you, I think the way you put it, a, a, a minimized sensitivity to his leading, not that he's not That's right. leading and it's not that he's not present but our ability to experience or be aware of or even be responsive to his leading, I think, becomes minimized. Because there's that passage where J- Jesus says, my shepherd hear my voice, or my sheep hear my voice. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd is what I meant to say. And, uh, and so we as sheep, we're just we're less familiar with his voice if we don't hear it regularly. Amen. And so, yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Same, yeah. same. Good stuff. Hey, can Good I stuff. can I pop a question your way? Can I kind of go off script here and say you're in a 60-plus episode. What has been something that you've observed mm-hmm. the Lord do through this Take and Read podcast? Um. Yeah. So I can I could observe some things that he has done— in me, uh, in the way that I have gone through this, the scripture like this, first time I've ever kind of slowly and consistently and methodically worked through a passage of scripture at this pace, at this depth. I've learned that I'm very much a verbal processor. So when, when I crank on the camera and turn on the audio to record a podcast, I soon forget that I'm recording anything, and, and with the, the various guests that I get to have, I am just in a really cool, deep study of the Word of God, uh, and I find that it's far more stimulating and insightful when other people are seeing things and we're kind of riffing off each other, and it's just... 
man, I, I just have found so much uh, more depth studying the scripture like this with someone else than I would by myself. So I think that's been really eye-opening uh, and such a blessing, which is probably what motivates me to say, I don't think I'll ever stop. As long as I have the ability and the time to do this podcast, I think I'm going to just keep doing it because it's so personally edifying. I would say what it's what I've seen through it, surprised by uh, the reach, uh, even though, I mean, at this, at the recording of it right now, we're, we've bumped over about 1,100 subscribers on YouTube, uh, through Spotify, Google, uh, iTunes, and some other platforms. We've got another 1,000 to 1,500. So if we've got regularly engaged, we've got around 3,000 people engaged. It's, it's really encouraging, and the amount of feedback that I get from people that say either it is a regular, consistent part of their their week. It's super encouraging mm. to see the Lord use something like this. Uh, super encouraging. The amount of times that I've gotten contacted by churches or small groups or church plants that have been using the podcast as a way to get their small group of friends or family together on a weekly basis uh, tune into the podcast and then take and read and study the text themselves along with us. Mm. I'm so surprised by that. Uh, it's super cool. And even there was, there's one uh, church in San Antonio, Texas that is developed a study guide that oh, they wow. use along with this podcast <laughs> that they use with their small group, which I was so shocked by. Uh, and I had an opportunity to tune in. I zoomed in. Uh, may, I think it was maybe six so months cool. ago, maybe-ish. Anyway, I uh, got to tune in to their group as they were getting ready to meet. And so shout out uh, to that awesome group of people down in San Antonio. hope you're still, still getting after it. Um, and then I would say to the amount of people that have reached out and indicated that this has helped them get back into a practice that they once had or have been uh, following the Lord or around church for a while, uh, but have never taken, you know, reading their Bible seriously, and that this has kind of given them a, a springboard into that and that they've enjoyed that as well. So it's cool to see the Lord's work in me and, and through this podcast. Uh, so I'm I definitely, it's a gift of the Lord. And uh, so thank you for the question. That's a good... Man, I'm so glad that you shared that. I'm encouraged to hear both the personal and then the international impact. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've never never had a chance to kind of reflect on that uh, in the podcast before. So that's, that's a great question. Uh, we've got, I mean, we're well over a year now of episodes and... We're still making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Here we find ourselves in Mark 13. And uh, we've got several to go. Um, I have a hope where I'm going to be on a, a part of a group that's going to Israel and uh, spending significant time in Jerusalem and in and around that area in a couple of weeks, and it may, I'm going to try to work it out where I can 
man, this would be, I'm going to try so hard, but there's going to be possibly a time when I can be in the Garden of Gethsemane and record the episode. It may be a solo record if I, if I, I may grab somebody <laughs> from our group yeah. just to process with me. But if I can record reading through the passage of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane while sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, oh. I don't know. It might blow. It might break the internet. I don't know what will happen, <laughs> but I'm excited That's to try That's incredible. It. So, uh, yeah, if you're tuning in now, yeah, you have to keep tuning in to see if I can pull this off, but that's certainly something I'm going to attempt and excited about that. But today we find ourselves in Mark 13, and uh, by way of reminder, we've, we understand this to be the gospel of Mark is, is the is the collected content of what we believe to be Peter, the Apostle Peter's teaching, written and recorded by John Mark as a companion of Peter. And so here we have somebody who uh, accompanied Jesus during his entire earthly ministry, a public ministry, and was his disciple, was later called and, and deployed as an apostle, uh, a specific messenger of Jesus and a leader in the church in the first century uh, when the church was founded by Christ is he ascended to the Father, he established the church, and Peter was right there on the front lines of that. And so what we have here is his specific teaching inspired by the Holy Spirit, and and so we have that in front of us, and it's the earliest collection of the teaching of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have and so it, in some ways, informs some of the other Gospels. There's content that overlaps here and there, but it's also the briefest. Uh, it's very action-oriented. Uh, it moves very quickly from one event to the next. Uh, it's oftentimes more brief in describing different events. And so one of the things I would encourage people, and we don't do it on this podcast, uh, but I would encourage as people are making their way through the Gospel Mark, to go and consult Matthew and Luke. If you find an episode that we're looking at here and you're like, man, I wonder if there's more details. I wonder if there's there's just a little bit more. And sometimes you'll find that there's more details in Mark and or in Matthew and Luke. Sometimes you might find things are different and you go, wait a minute, Mark says it this way, Matthew says it this way. And I wouldn't let that be a source of, uh-oh, but I would say that's interesting. What are what are more details that kind of give texture to this event? And just like you and I would, if we both go to a, a football game and we're recalling one of our favorite plays or that moment in the game when something something happened, we're going to have two different perspectives of the same event, and a lot of it's going to be the same. But we might remember nuances that we highlight that the other person didn't really pay attention to or highlight. And so I wouldn't let those differences necessarily um, throw you off scent. I would say that those just add layers of texture and, and recall that God is working through humans. And so um, there's going to be different components and aspects and perspectives. Any thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. Love that perspective and that encouragement. Go check out the other Gospels. Don't be discouraged. And remember, in particularly for Mark, he is trying to emphasize a big picture of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, similar, Matthew, and they all have their person, own personalities coming through the text, which is 
meant to teach, instruct, encourage. Yeah, love it. Amen. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 13. We're going to start in 14 and go through 23. Now, we are we are at a spot where Jesus has now been been in the in Jerusalem for several days. He has he has journeyed from the north in Galilee and made his way to Jerusalem. Has been in the temple, uh, teaching and engaging on on several occasions. He's been confronted and challenged by all of the religious leaders of the day uh, from the various kind of subgroups. So you've got Pharisees and Sadducees, you've got scribes, uh, you've got different um, uh, religious political entities trying to challenge him, question him, and he not only resists, but he uses every test to demonstrate his authority over theirs his wisdom over theirs. And so it's it's never just a neutral event. It's always uh, pl- Jesus, one, opponent, zero kind of thing. Like he always is demonstrating his mastery mm. and his authority. And so then uh, in 13, it starts out where they have, they're exiting the temple. Uh, if you, in 13.1, they're exiting the temple uh, one of the disciples is like, wow, look at these wonderful stones. Look at this, um, these wonderful buildings. Man, this is incredible, as they're commenting on the temple itself. And he he says this interesting thing. Yeah, do you see these great buildings? Well, they're going to be destroyed. Mm. And they're like, uh, later on, they're sitting across from the temple on the Mount of Olives, and they're kind of, it seems as though they're kind of looking on at the temple and Peter, James, John, and Andrew are like, hey, so back there when we were leaving, you kind of said something, and it was clearly alarming to them. They're like, well, what was that about? What do you mean by that? And, you know, what, what, when's this going to happen? What are the signs that we'll kind of start to see? And he doesn't give them specifics about the timeline, but he does indicate that there are going to be things that are happening that seem like it's the end. Mm of the age, but it's not Mm. like there's going to be wars. There's going to be things that are happening, but this isn't the end. It's just the, the, the beginning of the, the birthing pains of this event. And so it's the event will come, but it hasn't come yet when you see these things. And then his biggest warning is endure to the end. He says in 13, and you will be hated for by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so that while these these incredible world events are happening. Uh, the encouragement is not to be discouraged by those events, but be encouraged because he's forecasting those kind of things to them and they are to endure. And on the last episode I was kind of reflecting on this, the, the demonstration of love and encouragement that that would be to be told that, things are going to start to go crazy mm. and are not going to be, uh, you know, copacetic. They're not going to be pleasant. However, the fact that you're being told that in advance and when it does happen, that is somehow comforting to know that you were warned, you were told, and it was it was just as it was described to you. Even though it's not a pleasant experience, it, it, there is a deep comfort and an increased faith, I think, in that. So 
that was kind of the big takeaway we had last time. So here we find ourselves at verse 14. I'm reading out of the ESV. What do you have there? Same. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's jump in. And just for everybody who's listening, we, we did pray before we got on, uh, hit the record button. So uh, encourage everybody as you get ready to engage in the scripture, ask the Lord to give you insight. And it's as simple as saying, Lord, help me see, help me understand what I'm about to read from your word and and ask the Holy Spirit to come and do that. So anyway, here we go, starting in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So a pretty light (laughs) passage today. I'm very encouraged. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, yeah, this this is definitely, uh, this could be an intimidating passage, I think. Because it's like, it takes a real dark turn, and it's starting to kind of have some predictive components to it. And you're like, so some of the questions, I think, when you start to get into more of these prophetic teachings of Jesus, especially, is, okay, what what are these symbols? What, what are these phrases that he's referencing? And... They're they're future oriented. So, are they metaphorical? Are they literal? When is this going to happen? And I think for people in in the modern times, we read this and say, "Has what he described already happened?" And so we're on the backside of it, or is this something that's still even in our future? I think these are man, important things to wrestle with. As we look at trying to understand what he is talking about here and what this might mean, I think it's important to kind of break down, okay, he is still talking to the disciples. It's Jesus that is teaching. He's teaching just his disciples because it's this continuation of what he he's responded to the initial questions that they had. What are the signs when is this going to happen? What are the signs that this destruction of the temple is going to occur? So starting way back in 13, when he's referencing, hey, you see these buildings, these great buildings, you know, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Later on, Peter, James, John, and Andrew are like, hey, what are the, when is this going to take place? He's like, okay. And he's, he begins this, 
this line of teaching that continues with 14. So there's no like episode where they walk somewhere else and there's now a crowd gathered or something. It just continues to flow from that, that those previous verses. So I think we understand that context. Anything else you kind of notice about just the scene itself that would be important? No, let's keep going with that because I like where what you've stated. Okay, so then this phrase, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Mm-hmm. So we've got this interesting phrase, the abomination of desolation, and that it's a he. Mm-hmm. So it's a person, uh, not an event, yeah. not an occurrence, but a he uh, is being referenced here. Yeah. And go and ahead. as a as a listener, like I'm wondering, do the disciples automatically know who he's referring to? Or is this one of those instances where if the disciples had an opportunity, they'd say, who's that? I think that's a great question because it is not an uncommon term that Jesus uses here. I think for for Jewish for men who are raised in this culture, having been attending synagogue and hearing the Old Testament scrolls read your entire lifetime, that terminology is not not something that Jesus just newly introduces here. But even in my, my footnote here, uh, references where that comes from. So when I look at the footnote for verse 14, it references Daniel 9.27, 11.31, and 12.11. Oh, wow. So this is, this is terminology that comes straight out of the book of Daniel and the prophecy of Daniel. So if, if we were to turn over there really quick, uh, let's see, the first one was what, 9.27. Yeah. There's this description of a prince uh, that Daniel is foreshadowing. And it speaks of, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So now he's referencing the temple and worship, right? He's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Mm -hmm. So then my footnote says there's another one, 1131. So if I turn over a page in some, uh, let's see here. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, so again, it's talking about burnt offerings. It's talking about worship, talking about the temple. Uh, Let's see here in 1211 is another one and that's the last reference to it and that's towards the end of Daniel. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Mm. So it's interesting what Daniel's referencing. And Mm. I think historians, 
identify around 175 to 168 BC, there was a ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he did exactly what Daniel described. So I don't. So many years after Daniel's prophecy, it's understood that that. Antiochus did exactly what was described by Daniel to the temple, came in and he did those kind of things. And so here you have Jesus using similar terminology, but clearly not referencing back to what happened. His is talking about, again, in the future, something that is the abomination of desolation an individual standing where he ought not be. Um, and it's interesting, that little footnote, let the reader understand that he shouldn't be there. <laughs> like the abomination of desolation shouldn't be where he is, but he's going to be there. Mm. And in when that happens, he gives description to how the people should behave when it happens. And he's given them like very particular instructions. Like don't try to preserve whatever you have, just get out of there you know, kind of save yourself and those you love, get out of town, get away from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there's going to be some component of this, that this individual is going to try to lead astray the elect. Yeah. Those that God has chosen as his people will somehow be the, the attempt to lead them astray. And then he references, um, people claiming to be the return of Christ, the the Messiah's second coming. Uh, but false pr- Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders, so they're going to do things that seem similar to Jesus to have authority, the authority of the Messiah, the authority of Christ, and they're going to have this, they're going to be able to perform these signs and wonders which would possibly lead astray the elect. So be on guard. Mm. I've told you all these things beforehand. Very interesting. Yeah, and during that time, the experience is such that uh, Mark calls it a tribulation. So, mm-hmm. and and there's something unique about the fact that he's like, man, thankfully it's not going to be, or pray that it's not happening in in the season of winter. Yeah. So that is intriguing, right? That he's not even entirely sure when it will happen, but it's going to happen. He's warning them. I'm I'm telling you this is going to be going on and, and pray, seek the Lord that it doesn't happen in winter because that would be, and I would imagine because you're having to flee your home, you're headed to the wilderness, you're yeah. headed to the hills, your ability to survive is going to be compounded difficulty in the winter versus when it's the season of harvest or there's there's food to be had. There's crops to be gleaned from. Livestock is not as challenged. So I think that there's probably that reference. But it is interesting that he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't and say. The, and the, oh, go ahead. Keep going. Finish no, that well, Just that he doesn't give them insight into that that particular data point, like just pray that it doesn't happen in winter, indicates that there's a limitation to what he does know, which is fascinating. Yes. And that their response is to flee and be on guard. That is, that's unique also. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because of the the outcome of um, people being saved, being led astray. So that's something to note. Yeah. And so you have in historically, so one of the questions I think people, at least I have when I read this, is he referencing a future event that, as I read it, has already happened? Or is this referencing something that I should be anticipating that you and I should identify as something that's still to come. And this is where people get really fired up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but I, you can't dismiss the reality of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD uh, during the persecution of Nero, that that was a very real event that has had lasting consequences to this day. And, um, and so you, you currently don't have the temple established, the temple sacrifice occurring. And so the things that were described by Daniel that then played out by Antiochus in 175 through 168, uh, where the worship, the burnt offerings, all of those things are, are completely eradicated, that that occurred at the destruction of the temple in 70 and it to this day is still not occurring. So there's something interesting to be, to understand that Jesus is anticipating for them something that does happen in their lifetime. Those that are hearing this as he's teaching it, his disciples, many of them, uh, well, some of them would experience what he's described here. I mean, we're talking 30 40 years after his ascension is when the destruction of the temple in 70 AD occurs. Mm -hmm. So within many of their lifetimes uh, of the disciples that are coming to Christ. I don't know. Thoughts about that? Well, yes, my thoughts are uh, because I'm coming out of a season of spending time in Isaiah and many of what I encountered there in that, in that prophetic word is I have exactly the questions that you've asked here is, uh, has this already occurred? Has this been fulfilled? And if not, when? Um, and what do I need to glean from? So I was actually going to pitch it back to you and say, when we have these words, at what point do we say, I'm not real sure? Um, I, mm -hmm. We have historical accounts from the time of Christ till today that lead me to think to draw these conclusions, obs observations. And then w w at what point do we say, I, I just don't know? But I'm mm -hmm. still going to believe, verse 23, be on guard. I have told mm -hmm. you these things so that you would know, so that you would know that I'm God. Um, because I know what's beautiful about the book of Isaiah, man, walking through a season of Advent, Christmas, a lot of those have been fulfilled. Those prophecies have been fulfilled. And I know that to be the case because of what the New Testament tells me um, right. of Christ's birth and those kind of things. But so going back to my question I know you think deeply and will mind some things. When do we say, I'm not real sure and move on? Yeah, I think when, when I look at this, I mean, we obviously, for purposes of this podcast, we split up passages of scripture. This is very, very much connected to the verses before it and after it. And it's still along kind of this, this teaching line that, that Jesus is, is responding to those questions what are the signs? What should when is this going to play out? And so he's he's 
kind of speaking to things that they're going to anticipate that will lead to the destruction of the temple. Hmm. And and so there's there's some components where he is he is giving them assurance in response to their questions. They do experience the things that he's just discussed in their lifetime. But we know that the end times hasn't occurred in 70 mm-hmm. AD because mm-hmm. we're here, right? So we know that 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 those were events that could be described as the abomination of desolation similar to Daniel, but it didn't bring about the end of the age or the end times because he does say that you're going to see things and experience things that seem like the end, but they're not the end. He even says false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders, but they're false. The key is that they're false. They're not the real return of Christ. So there's even as he's describing things, the anticipation that the true end will be related to the return of the true Messiah or Christ. And that until that happens, it's not the end. But endure, be on guard, don't be persuaded to go follow these false Christs, follow the true Messiah, and be on guard, because they're going to try to derail you, take you off track to, to kind of follow them. Don't. It's not the real return of Christ, but be anticipatory of that real return, Good. I think is the warning here. And we don't have time to get into 24 through 27 that talks about the the coming of the Son of Man and that return mm-hmm. of the of the true Christ. Um, but in, in the passage we're in today, there's something comforting about these things are going to happen, but don't be dissuaded. Don't be persuaded to follow some false um, Messiah or false salvation or false delivery but stay true to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ, and wait for His actual return. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, go I ahead. love that, and I, the the word that comes to mind is hope. Mm. When when He's saying these things, uh, it gives me hope that I can endure and I can persevere. And thinking about the very definition of faith from Hebrews eleven. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mm. And he has given us the ability through his words to uh, to be steadfast yeah. and to be on guard. Yeah. So wrestling with okay, we know we know what it says. We can wrestle with how how does this land for them? Right. I always want to go into and I I always want to think through what does this mean for in the original context. So you've got the people that are there that he's teaching. You've also got the recipients of Mark's gospel in that first century. When they're reading this, how does this land for those two groups, the the immediate recipients of Jesus' teaching in this actual text, and then also the recipients of Mark's gospel in the first century how do you think this, how does this hit them? That's a huge question. Um, I lean towards the latter audience, that first century mm-hmm. church. Um, I, I even wonder how many of them could actually identify with the, the desire to flee 
uh, for the persecution that them, they may have faced personally when Christ mm-hmm. uh, was crucified uh, and and was resurrected, and they they f- felt that desire. They literally flee for their life. Um, but I have. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. There, that first century, there would have been eventually. Mark's gospel would, was in existence and circulating at the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. So there would have been some that were like reading this or had this teaching and had the thoughts, it's happening. Let's go. Let's get out. And, yeah. and some responded to this teaching because it was instructive for them. So yeah. there's some that probably saved their lives. And yeah. also save their faith that they were like, it's exactly happening. Don't trust those guys. Whatever is going down, it's not the end times, but man, get out of town. Yes. Be on guard. Watch out. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a little unsettling, even for me uh, in, in 23, that uh, there are those who their mission, their aim is to perform signs and wonders to deceive. And... Uh, mm-hmm. I would imagine our first century brothers and sisters would have felt that same. Yeah. So, uh, takeaway. You read a text like this, and you're a pastor, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a brother in Christ. How do we live in light of this text today? Two things come to mind. When I see that word tribulation, that there are going to be difficulties. And mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be really difficult even for believers in, in Jesus to endure. And I have the joy and responsibility to share of Christ so that they might be saved. And the yeah. second thing is going back to that statement of hope that even despite those difficulties there there's a there's a reason to persevere there's a reason to endure there's a reason to hold on and the one that is speaking this passage uh, in Mark 13 is mm-hmm. the key he is the salvation he is the one who will return so those yeah. are the two things is share the message of hope and believe yeah yeah i think uh yeah, I some of what you've said has triggered some thoughts that there is a day that Jesus will return. This passage emphasizes the fact that he is going to come back. There's going to be people that come back and try to make claim that they're him, but they're not, which just further emphasizes that he is going to return and be on guard, be watchful, be mindful. As we were saying at the beginning, only the sheep will understand the shepherd's voice. So how, how do I myself and how do I help others hear and, and be tuned to the shepherd's voice so that they know the true shepherd when he does return, if he comes in our lifetime? And how can I, every day that he delays his return is an opportunity for me to help as many people as I can know him so that on that day there's rejoicing instead of weeping uh, for them. And so 
yeah, some encouraging stuff, but he's coming back. Every day that he has not come back, that day should be postured towards helping as many people know him. If my priorities are anything other than that, I am wasting time. I'm not focused on the main thing. If my focus for the day is doing anything other than trying to help leverage whoever I am and whatever I have to let people know about the Lord before he returns, I'm not using my time as best I can. And so it's super encouraging, kind of convicting, because I know there are some days that is not on yes, my mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like, oh, man, I got to get get in gear. Uh, but, yeah, a challenge, a challenge. Amen. Chad, so, thanks for having us just walk uh, verse by verse and taking difficult, challenging sections like this. That is mm-hmm. incredibly encouraging, my brother. Amen. Well, for those who are tuning in, if any questions popped up, which I'm sure there are plenty, especially from a passage like this, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Kurt, uh, email that email, and I'll make sure he gets that question if you have any comments. Uh, Yeah, if you can relate to what he's described at the beginning of the podcast, coming out of a season where he just hasn't been in the Word much. Uh, If you can relate to that, leave a comment, kind of talk about that. And uh, just know that you're not alone, that all of us, even even professional Christians, pastors, <laughs> we, we go through seasons where we're just, we're just not uh, walking the way that we know is healthiest for us and everyone else. And so we, we struggle in those ways too. Uh, but be encouraged. If you, uh, yeah, if you want others to either hear this passage uh, talked about or any other passage that we've talked about, let them know about the podcast, share it with people, let people know about it, uh, help. Yeah. If you like, if you subscribe, if you hit the little alarm bell, all of those things just help people find us and be encouraged by the word of God. Again, we're two people, two brothers that love the Lord. We believe this to be the absolute true inspired word of God, the creator of the universe. Uh, if you are not one of those that that believes this to be true, but are just studying it because you think it's a good idea, man, kudos to you. I think that's an incredible thing because this this book has had the most influence on humanity of any other book out there. So you should know what it says. And I encourage you for taking that study, but I'd warn you, this book has caused wars. It's it's divided families. It's it, it's pretty intense. And so it uh, buckle up. Uh, there should be a warning, reader, reader beware, because this thing could actually just throw your world upside down and change your life. And it has for me, it has for Kurt. Uh, and so I hope that it changes your life for the better as well. Mm-hmm. So go take and read the word of God. Blessings. Blessings.